0: it's a good day it's a celebration kind of day and you read or you hear the lyrics of song like rise and sing there's no one like you and you realize that all of this this great emotion and energy and and desire that we have to live this exciting passionate life for the lord and yet we realize that there are times when that kind of gets derailed when that gets off track and over the last few weeks we've been talking about ways that we can uh, kind of derail living for the Lord. And today we're going to talk about one of the most difficult things to talk about in church. We're going to talk about wrestling ourselves away from guilt that can prevent us from living for the Lord. Anybody ever heard of a guy named Pavlov? You've heard of Pavlov? Pavlov, what's he famous for? His dogs, right? Well, he? There was this scientific fact, everybody knew knew, they saw, that when you gave a dog food before the dog ever ate, he would start salivating. And so Pavlov wondered if he could get the dog to salivate before the food ever came. And so he started this experiment where he would ring a bell, give the food. Ring a bell, give the food. And over time, it got to the point that the dog would start salivating just when he rang the bell, whether there was food there or not, because he associated the bell with food. And what he proved is that in our minds and our emotions and in our beings, we can have this deep connection to things that physically alter us or take us to places that are different. We all have that. There are things in your lives that take you to somewhere else, Um Songs are a big deal for me in that way. Uh, Growing up, um, you know, I'm still a huge St. Louis Cardinal baseball fan. You know, a day like today makes me long for baseball. Getting sunny outside, it's getting warm. And whenever I, there's a song out there, uh, anybody know the song Celebration by Cooling the Gang? All right, celebrate good times. Whenever I hear that song, I am immediately taken back to the 1982 World Series when the Cardinals beat the Brewers and won the world championship and they played that song for that summer for them. I'm taken back literally to um, sitting beside my dad in a recliner in our lucky chair where the Cardinals played baseball. All right? When they played, we sat in that chair and we watched it. Um, There's another song, you may know, Sitting on the Dock of the Bay by Otis Redding, right? You know that? My dad, whenever I hear that song, I'm almost immediately taken to the passenger seat of my dad's green El Camino. Anybody know what an El Camino is? You know what an El Camino is, raise your hand, right? It's a half car, half truck, right? It's a trar. It's a combination of the two. And, and, And dad would pick me up from school in that green El Camino, all right? And we would go home, and he had Otis Redding's greatest hits. And he would put it in, and we just played it. So when I hear Sitting on the Dock of the Bay or Try a Little Tenderness or any of those Otis Redding songs, I'm taken back to there. It doesn't have to be all uh, even my parents kind of thing. Uh, there are multiple 80s and 90s power ballads that take me back to Dyersburg High School Gymnasium with the girls on one side and the boys on the other, trying to figure out who I'm going to ask to dance with me to this particular power ballad. All right. You know what I'm saying? Songs take you back. Right. Don't look at me like I'm crazy. Right. I mean, we could poll you, but I'm afraid of some of the responses we would get. And so songs can take you back to places. It's not just songs. There's smells. Whenever I'm playing with Eli and Luke and we're out in the the late summer and that, that heat is oppressive and we're rolling around on the ground or we're playing baseball and diving or something, and, and I find my face in that late summer grass, I immediately think of two-a-days in football. There's just a distinctive smell there. Um, whenever I'm... Um, my grandmother's house had a distinctive smell in fact i went back uh, after my grandparents passed away uh, about a year ago i went back to their house and my parents had cleaned it up and gotten it ready to sell and the smell was gone and it didn't even feel like the same house you know what i'm talking about here things you associate Uh, a television show or a movie you associate with a moment, a a song you associate with a relationship. Um, Somehow you connect things with an earlier period of time. I was reading through the book that we've talked about, the Wild, Wild Goose Chase book, and he says that he began to look at one of the stories in Scripture through the eyes of something like Pavlov's dogs and this response mechanism. It's a story we find in the book of Luke. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 22. It's a story of Peter and his denial of Jesus. And in verse 31 of chapter 22, there's just this little couple of verses that Jesus says here. They're kind of interesting, and then we're going to talk about him disowning it. And we're eventually going to end up in another place in Scripture. But in verse 31, it says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked him to sift you as wheat. That's not something we use a lot anymore. We don't talk about sifting wheat anymore. But uh, how many of you have ever sifted something? All right. Sifted, you take it and you shake it and it sifts out. You, you, you disturb it to get the impurities out or the things that shouldn't be there. And so he says, Satan is asking to sift you. And then Jesus says, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brother's. A couple of things in there. First of all, we see almost like in the book of Job, when Job is brought out by God as an exemplary servant of his, and Satan says, well, let me test him for a little while. Satan has asked permission to test Peter. And Jesus reveals in this thing a few things that we think or should take note of. First of all, that he's not going to stop it. Notice that? He's going to let it happen. There are sometimes in our lives when God allows things to happen in our lives to see how we respond. Somebody has said that it is easy to act like a Christian. It's not that easy to react like a Christian. It's not a react when things happen. And then he says, and I'm going to pray for you. And imagine Jesus saying, I'm praying for you that you may not fail. And and, and then he kind of gives away the ending. The understanding is, is, but when you fail... And God has turned back. I'm going to ask that you strengthen your brothers. So we see that whole picture. And then we get to verse 54, of chapter 22. And this is after the Last Supper. This is Jesus has been arrested. In verse 54, it says Seizing him, they led him down and took him into the house of the high priest. And Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. And a servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely and said, This man was with him. But Peter denied it. Woman, I, I, don't, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and says, You are one of them. And Man, I am not, Peter said. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him. He is a Galilean. And Peter replied, Man, I don't even know what you're talking about. Now, we have in another gospel account of this that Peter got... Um, hostile at this moment, that he cursed, that he got angry. Verse 61, or just end of verse 60, excuse me. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And while Goose Chase Mark Batterson says, don't you think that every time from that point on that Peter heard a rooster crow, his mind went back to this moment. Every time he heard a rooster crow. Now, for us, that's not a big deal, because most of us don't have roosters living around us. Anybody get awakened by a rooster this morning? Maybe one? I didn't. I had an alarm clock, but not a rooster. Anybody ever been in a place where there are roosters around? Do you hear roosters? Are they loud or are they soft? They're loud, right? First trip I ever took to Brazil, we, uh, I was 22 years old. I was engaged to be married. This was the last thing we were doing before we got, you know, before the two weeks before the, the wedding. I was going, Susan was staying home planning the wedding. Uh, I, we got, uh, we flew into Belo Horizonte, Brazil. And we went to stay at the country club. Let me just say, their idea of a country club and our idea of a country club are not the same. All right? And so we went to stay at the klubi. That's what they called it, the klubi. We went to the klubi to stay, and I went to what they called a cabin. I called it a hut. All right? And I went in, and we got settled, and it had been a long day of travel. And it was, you know, afternoon, and we got some stuff kind of settled. We went and ate supper. We came back. We unloaded our stuff yeah we we were kind of excited we were in a new place we were in bunk beds i was on the top bunk uh, i i didn't get to sleep right away all right you you know i mean you know some of you at glow you, you talk when you you know get in those situations right you don't go to sleep some of you, how many of you went to sleep right away okay that's what i thought all right so you stay up you talk and at about midnight we finally settled down to the point where we could sleep i was always under the myth that roosters crowed at daylight. They don't. They don't have any particular time. They like to crow. And so at 3 o'clock in the morning, our particular rooster, who had chosen our particular hut to make a camp, began to crow. And he crowed. I mean, you know, I think sometimes we read this story and we imagine the rooster crowing once and kind of quitting. They don't do that. They continually go. Can you imagine if your alarm clock every day was a reminder of your biggest failure? Peter's alarm clock every day could have been a reminder for his biggest failure. Think about this Jesus is arrested, he's tried, he's crucified on Friday. On Saturday morning, Peter is awakened by a rooster. Sunday morning before he rushes to the tomb to see the empty grave before he knows the glorious ending of the story he is awakened by a rooster Now, here's why I say all of that I don't know what is preventing you from living the life God has called you to live but I know that one thing that can is guilt over what you have or haven't done in your past and if there is anybody that had reason not to seek the Lord and to pursue Him with all His might, it was Peter because of this failure. Peter said to the Lord, I will not deny you. He promised to the Lord and at that time, probably Peter's best friend on the planet. I mean, we talk about Jesus being our friend. Peter and Jesus were tight. They were great friends. It's like a best friend saying to a best friend, I will never betray you. I will never deny you. I will never do anything to hurt you. And then two hours later, you deny that you have ever known the person existed at the most important moment in their lives. Turn to John chapter 21. Because I want to show you how Jesus handled Peter. And what you need to do if guilt is crushing you. The first thing that you need to understand that that breaking out of this cage or breaking free from guilt. The first thing it does is it requires embracing reality. It requires embracing reality. Chapter 21 of the book of John is this this, uh, description of what happened when. When Jesus has, has risen from the grave, he's come back. And what we get in chapter 21 of the book of John is that obviously Peter still has some issues about this denial. He obviously still has some issues here. He, he's excited about the resurrection. It's kind of been a weird um, little while. Jesus has kind of popped up in different places. He showed up in the room. He's showed up here. It tells us he appeared in different places to Many people over 40 days. And so this is one of those things. They're not real reliable. They don't know what Jesus is going to be here today or he's not or what's happening. It's just kind of a hit and miss kind of thing. And so because they don't know a whole lot, they just decide we're going to go back and start fishing again. And so they go and they start fishing. And as they're fishing one day out in the boat, they're not catching anything. And somebody on the beach says, hey, throw your net on the other side. And as they throw the net on the other side and they start to pull it in, one of them has one of those moments that clicks a memory in their mind. The the weight of the fish and the amount of the fish, suddenly they're taken to another place in another time when Jesus told them to cast the net on the other side. Suddenly, he says, it's the Lord. And Peter puts on his outer garment he jumps in the water it says they're about a hundred yards from shore that's too far from peter he runs swims to get to the shore now here's the thing that happens when they get to the shore jesus cooks up some breakfast for them they have some fish that sound like a good breakfast some fish over a hot fire and they got some some breakfast going for them and they they have the discussion and then peter and and jesus kind of have this this little discussion and in this discussion we see the things that are necessary to break free from the guilt of our lives and to move forward and it starts in verse 15 when it says when they had finished eating Jesus said to Simon Peter Simon son of John do you truly love me more than these now there's a discussion about what more than these means there's some people that think that it means the other disciples the other apostles he's saying Simon, Peter, do you love me more than you love the other people that are gathered here? Am I the most important person in your life? Is the relationship you have with me more important than all the other relationships you have? There are some people that say he's testing him to say, what I'm going to call you to do will be unique to you, and so you must have me as your ultimate priority among all people. There are others that think he may have been important at the fish. seems kind of silly, but may have been asking him, Peter, Simon, you, you went back to fishing. Do you love me more than your job? Than your livelihood? Than your career? Do you love me more than the miracles I provide? Is our relationship built on something other than what I can do for you? Do you love me more than these? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus says, will feed my lambs. Again, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says, When you're old, you'll stretch out your hand. Someone else will dress you, lead you, do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then Jesus said to Peter, follow me. It appears the first command Jesus ever gave to Peter was to follow me. And the last command that we have recorded in the book of John that he gave was follow me. And what we have here in this place is... Several things Jesus sets up to bring back memories of what life had been like before the death and resurrection. I mean, first of all, there's the catch of fish that reminds them of really the first time that Jesus called him to follow him. The first time that he said, give me your life. But there are also little things that are kind of details in here. John makes a deal to talk about the fire being a charcoal fire. And most people that read the descriptions of his denials, Peter's denials of Jesus, would say that there were charcoal fires around which he were gathered. And so the smell of that fire may have brought back memories of the denial. There's the obvious reference to three questions being asked that bring back memories of the denial. And the point that Jesus, first of all, wanted Peter to do was to deal with the reality of the situation that he had denied his savior, Jesus. And the first thing that has to happen if we are going to not let guilt prevent us from moving forward with the Lord is that we have to embrace the reality of our lives. There are lots of people that are guilty, but they won't tell you what they're guilty over. And I'm not saying you got to come tell me, but you better be able to tell the Lord. We live in a society that is just overrun with sin and Thoughts that aren't pleasing to God and words that aren't pleasing and actions. And so sometimes we get caught up in so much that we lose sight of what sin is and we feel guilty, but we don't know what we're guilty for. And Peter had to realize the depth of his sin. It's not just uh, acting like nothing happened. It's just realizing our sin. We've got to be willing to open our lives to the Spirit. And allow Him to show us those areas of our lives. Psalm 139:23 and 24 is my favorite verse. It says, "Search me, O Lord, know my heart; test me and know my ancient thoughts. See if there are any offensive ways in me, and lead me in the way everlasting." I read the story this week of a a guy that was an electrical engineer um, for GE. His name was Charles Seitzman, and They called him because they couldn't get a machine to work. And they said, we need you to come look at it. If anybody knows how to fix it, you'll know how to fix it. So he came in, he looked at it, he walked down the aisle, looked at the machine. It was this huge, multi-million dollar machine. They couldn't get it to work properly. He took out a piece of chalk, and he put an X on one spot on the machine, and he walked out. They went into that spot, saw there was something there they had missed. They fixed it, got it running right, called him, said... We need a bill for your services. So he sent them a bill, and this was 40 or 50 years ago, for $10,000. And they said, we got to know what that's for. So give us an itemized account of what the $10,000 is for. And he sent them back this. It was a short letter. It said, $1 for putting an X on the machine, $9,999 for knowing where to put the X. The truth is, only God knows where to put the X in our lives. And one of the most dangerous things for us to do, we think, is to open our lives to the convicting presence of the Holy Spirit. There are some of you in this room right now that have things in your lives that are consuming your ability to live for the Lord. And you are resistant to letting the Lord put the axe. There are some of you that are trapped in, In attitudes and behaviors and responses and thoughts. You're doing things on the internet you shouldn't be doing. You're watching movies you shouldn't be watching. You're saying things you shouldn't be saying. You're living your life in a way that you are inviting sin in. And you wonder why you can't be effective for the Lord. The first step is to embrace reality. This is what is here. This is what is now. The old Baptist word for that is confessing your sins. Saying, Lord, this is what's going on. The second thing is once you embrace that reality and you confess, then you embrace Jesus. I love the picture that Jesus calls out. They say, it is the Lord. And Sinus Peter. it says in there in verse 7 of chapter 21, as soon as Simon Peter immediately, without waiting, without delay, as quickly as he could, as soon as he heard him say, it is Lord, he got his outer garment around him and jumped into the water. The other disciples were coming behind. It wasn't like they were saying, "Well, you go on to the shore, we'll come later. They were coming, but Peter wanted to get there immediately. He wanted to see the Lord. He wanted his life to be governed around him. He said to himself at that moment that my relationship with the Lord is the most important thing. I must see Jesus. And let me ask you, in your life, is your relationship with Jesus Christ the most important thing in your life? Not one of the most important things, not part of the most important thing, is it the most important thing in your life? Because if it is not, you will never live the life that God has called you to live. Are you running to him? Are you embracing him? Are you looking for him? We have to get to a point, if guilt is a part of our lives, we have to get to a point where the relationship with the Savior is more important than holding on to our sin. Peter says, whatever it means. I love this. That, that, that he gets there. They landed. The, the boat lands after Peter gets there. And Jesus says, go back and help him get the boat. So he pulls it up. And then he is just enthralled in the moment. Jesus. You, you see, I think. One of the realities of why Jesus had to do this question and answer is because Peter thought maybe we'd moved past that. And Jesus wanted to make sure, before we say we've moved past it, make sure I am your everything. The question, do you love me, is not just, it's not a romantic or friendship question even. It's not, I mean, people get wrapped up in agape and is this, Jesus uses different, the question here I believe is just a simply priority question. Am I your all-consuming passion in life. Am I it? Tomorrow's Valentine's Day, right? It is, yes. I was at the store looking for a Valentine's Day card. Okay, Susan's not in here. It's not a big surprise I'm getting her a card for Valentine's Day, alright? Those things are ridiculous. Have you read them? I mean, have you read? Have you read the, the Valentine's Day cards? I mean, they're, they're just guys. Are you with me on this? Amen. I mean, you you read it and you go, "I would never say it that way," and I know they hire people to write it that way, but that's just not me. And I could I read a few, and you know, it's a tricky holiday. You can't go real, you know. If You feel like if you go real funny on the cards, you got to write an emotional message. I mean, it's a tricky day. And so you're looking for the right balance, all right? And so I'm looking at them, and I just realized this distorted view of the question, do you love me, has come to me. And the question, so we read... On Valentine's Day, we read these cards and we think, well, that's what Jesus is going to ask. This kind of emotion. Do you love me? You have this place in your heart. And I'm not talking about romantic. I'm just saying that this, this whole idea of what love is. Jesus is saying, are you committed to me above all else? That's the question he's asking. It's the question he's asking you. Are you committed to me above all else? Here's the last thing. then no, we're done. Breaking free requires embracing Jesus' mission. Basically, he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, absolutely. And he says what? That's great. Just stay at home and don't do anything. Is that what he says? He says, feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Feed my sheep. The point there is join in doing what I've called you to do. Here's what I love about it, too. He doesn't sugarcoat anything with Peter. He doesn't say, you follow me, you do what I ask you to do. It'll be the most amazing, blessed. You're going to have more money and health than you can ever imagine. What does he tell him? You're not going to be able to dress yourself. He basically says, you are about to spend the rest of your life following me. So you make that choice. This isn't a let's hug it out kind of moment. This is, I am asking you for serious commitment here. And the only way you eventually move past whatever guilt you have in your life to become effective for the Lord is when you begin to pursue His mission for your life. Let me just ask you a simple couple of questions today. What's going on in your heart? I mean, the truth is, just looking across this room, I don't know if you've got anything to be guilty about. But I know from human experience and everything I read that there are lots of people in this room that are dealing with real guilt. And the question is, are you going to let it cage you in from following the Lord or are you going to release it to the Lord and allow him to work through your life? In just a moment, we're going to sing again and we're going to worship together. In those moments... If you need to come and pray and give something to the Lord, maybe it's you need to join him in his mission. Maybe it's just need to make him the priority of your life. Perhaps it's something's happened at Glow this weekend and you just need to make a public statement of that. I'll be here. And come talk to me and come pray at the altar. Maybe it's to give your life to the Lord for the first time. Whatever that might be. I would just ask that you be obedient and do it. And the thing that motivated Peter was this. That Jesus loved him so much. What else could he do but give him his life?